Hi guys, Artem here with another Danilians Ventures podcast. We have a very interesting episode. We have Anne here from Ideasoft. She's head of operations at IT company in Ukraine, and we will be talking about situation in Ukraine. But most importantly, how IT companies are dealing with this incredible crisis and how some of them are even striving and trying to help the community around them. So, Anne, thank you very much for joining. I really appreciate your time. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for the invitation and for this amazing initiative. I really appreciate it. So thanks. Thank you. Thank you. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit about your company? Just And obviously, where are you right now? And okay. are you okay? And how is your company doing? Yes, uh, I'm currently uh, in Germany, so I'm in a safe place. Uh, yes, and I'm, I'm fine. I'm working remotely from here. And as I said, I'm a head of operations at ADSOP. Uh, I've been working in this company for almost six years now and started as a UI UX designer. And then over the years, um, have grown to this position. And it was very interesting because I started this new position two weeks prior war. So being the head of operations during this war period was um, challenging, but still, yeah, we, we have managed to, to deal with everything. And our company is a full stack software development IT company. Uh, we've been on the market since 2016. We provide in blockchain development, UI UX design, quality assurance, like ev everything you need to do a digital project, basically. Uh, in 2021, we became a part of Sigma Software Group. It's a Ukrainian-Swedish um, company with over 9,000 people over the world and 2,000 in Ukraine. And in Ukraine, Sigma Group has one of the strongest ITR brands, so we became a part of this uh, group. And um, in 2022, again, the month before war, uh, we also bought a company, Aventir, in Ideasoft Group. Uh, guys are focusing on web 3.0 development, NFT gaming, metaverse, etc. So we have pretty wide experience and our main domain basically is blockchain development and tech development as well. We're working with different approaches, centralized, decentralized exchanges, all kinds of wallets, uh, different kind of blockchains, uh, etc. Uh, so pretty wide blockchain expertise. Uh, and of course, when war started, it was very challenging. Uh, even though we had a business continuity plan, we were preparing to all the situation because, you know, we, we heard different news uh, around, around us and we knew that uh, something like this could happen. So we have BCP plan. But, you know, like during this war, we had to readjust uh, on the way. And uh, right now we are working at full capacity as as previously, uh, but we had to take two days off in the beginning of the war because we were evacuating first pool of people from Kharkiv. Our head office was in Kharkiv. We were evacuating people from Kharkiv to Western Ukraine. And over the next two or three weeks, we also were evacuating people from Kiev and other cities to the safe place in Western Ukraine. Uh, so, of course, our productivity and capacity during these first two or three weeks were lower. Uh, but I think in, in three or four weeks, we restored like 90% of our capacity. And I remember that the first day I uh, used my laptop and, and I was working again, it was um, Sunday, I guess, uh, 26th of February. So. Um, the first, uh, the first chance we had to start working, we used some laptops, we started our coordination plans, uh, etc. 
so uh, as of now, everyone is working at full capacity. We have a lot of people that move abroad. So we have people in Germany, in Poland, in Hungary, uh, in different countries. Uh, we also have a lot of people in Western Ukraine in such places. We evacuated like 99% of our employees. We have we still have a couple of employees. They stayed in Kharkiv for their own reasons, personal reasons. Some of them has have uh, sick family members or other reasons to stay in, in Kharkiv. But um, everyone else was evacuated and uh, we restored our full capacity, continue working on projects, delivering projects, onboarding new clients. Uh, but of course, we're doing it from different places and remotely in this new reality. Uh, but still, we, uh, we're working uh, almost as, as previously right now. Okay, so that was scary. So you have some people left in Kharkiv? Yes, a couple, a couple of, uh, yeah, a couple of employees still stayed in Kharkiv. Yeah, so, um, so I'll be asking stupid questions, but you know, do they have internet? Do they have yes. a way to keep safe, to stay safe? As as safe as they can stay in this situation, you know, uh, we in contact all the time, and uh, for example, I. Last week, I had a call with one of these girls who uh, are still staying in Kharkiv. You know, like people, unfortunately, can used to everything. So when I asked her, how are you doing? She told me, like, I'm fine, everything is fine. There were just a little bombing at night, only two sirens, like everything is okay. Uh, they have internet, they have uh, food supplies, water. We also have this organization, as you mentioned, that can help them with this. Uh, and uh, she's working. Of course, she had to uh, adjust a little bit her working schedule. Uh, so, for example, in the middle of the day, you can you need to go to the store because it will be closed uh, early and other stuff. But uh, she is working as usual. But we have only like two, two or three people in Kharkiv right now. Everyone else mostly Western Ukraine. So, and uh, I guess smaller cities are safer right now when it comes to Ukraine. And then obviously cities like Ivana Frankivsk and Lviv, they are also can be considered semi-safe, even though they're quite bigger. Um, but um, I, were you able to make payroll? Are you paying people salaries and everything? Of course, so yes, of course. Uh, we, uh, we even gave everyone some payment in advance when war started on the 32nd day because we realized that people need additional money to move to uh, to buy gas for the cars, etc. Uh, and also we pay as usual. Uh, we had no delays in payments. And thanks God to uh, our clients and partners, some of them uh, in the beginning of the war, some of them even paid in advance uh, to uh, to some yeah for some scope that we haven't realized yet. And yeah, fortunately everything is fine in terms of payments. So all people get their salaries as usual. And there is no interruption in the payment system. So you know, people can still receive money to their bank accounts, right? They can use their their payment cards, Visa, MasterCard, they can use it. And I guess in the in, in safe areas, people can go shopping, they can purchase supplies. And now that we're talking about supplies, you have an awesome initiative that your company is spearheading. And could you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's pretty awesome. Besides, obviously, paying payroll and helping your people get out, you try to help a broader audience. And could you maybe talk a little bit about the initiative that you're spearheading? Yes, of course. Uh, in the beginning of the war, our CBD Peter, uh, he stayed in the Harkin and he had been staying there for the first three weeks of war. 
And it started as an initiative like to help our employees, first of all, to help them uh, to evacuate them and their families, uh, to help those people who stayed for the first couple of weeks in Kharkiv with uh, different supplies, food, etc. And then uh, we uh, other companies joined us, and now we have this uh, initiative called Kharkiv with uh, uh, IdeaSoft, uh, Sigma, Chenfro, and Scholar companies. So we united our forces to create some uh, first aid help organization. Uh, we also, some volunteers who are not even employees at IDSOF, they join this uh, organization and they are working as, uh, right now they're working as staying parking, delivering uh, all this um, humanitarian help to people. Uh, it's mostly concentrated on Kharkiv region because it's very close to Russian border and this part of Kharkiv that is closer to the border is basically destroyed, it's ruined. And uh, there were so many people who stayed at their home without heating at sub-zero temperatures in the basement. So they are providing them with uh, warm clothes, with medicine, with the food, with water, uh, with any supplies uh, they can. They are also help helping to uh, medical specialists with population surgery treatment, etc. So uh, we have the donations from clients, partners, friends, and just people who would like to help and they send us money with this money they all go to this humanitarian support. Now also they work with um, uh, old people, with different hospices, with uh, uh, sick children and everyone who needs help right now in Kharkiv. So yeah, they try to in Kharkiv and Kharkiv region because we, it's all started for Kharkiv city, but we have a small villages and towns in Kharkiv region that in very bad situation right now. And of course, evacuation. As of now, I know that uh, through this organization, we have evacuated about 6,000 people. So we started from Mediasoft employees, and then we expand, like we were evacuating everyone, people from in our other IT companies from Kharkiv, uh, uh, someone's relatives, friends, they were just sharing contacts of our guys, our volunteers, and asking for help. Uh, guys were looking for buses, organizing everything. So uh, I think it, it, they, they have done tremendous work, and they are still doing their, uh, like this group of people volunteers from Kharkiv and helping every day. It's, it's amazing. So did I hear correctly that you actually evacuated like 6,000 people? Yes, from Kharkiv region, yes, through this organization. Wow, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot of lives saved, possibly. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. And do you fund it yourself? Do you fund the, comp uh, the, the initiative yourself? You mentioned that there are other also donors, uh, but um, mostly you started the, the initiative and you paid at least for the lion's share of the cost. Uh, as organization, it started with uh, four IT companies, Ideasoft, uh, yeah, Sigma, uh, Genpro, and Scalar, it's our partners, our friends. So when we started doing this work uh, at the beginning, we jo like they joined us and we expanded our, our forces, let's say that way. Uh, but uh, we collecting donation and funding from like all over the world um, because it's, uh, it, it, you need to have like a lot of uh, a lot of resources uh, to handle all this work, all this uh, support, all this medicine, all this uh, gas, uh, and you need actually to pay to these bus drivers who, who are delivering all this stuff every day and support these people as well because they need some money. So, yeah, we're collecting donations from, from different uh, different countries and our clients. So, if I want to donate uh, to help support this awesome initiative, obviously you have a website, I can probably, like, you accept also donations from abroad, right? 
yes, maybe yes. crypto, PayPal, credit cards, all that of good course. stuff, right? Yes. Because you're a blockchain company yeah. in a sense. Yeah. So I'm sure you connected, you know, crypto, like yes, one of the yes. first payments probably you accepted. That's yes, pretty right. awesome. That's pretty awesome. So if you think about uh, your company, right? So you still continue working for your clients, right? Of course. And yes. yeah, of course, yeah. as you mentioned, you are almost at 100% productivity currently. And uh, it's awesome to hear that your customers are helping you. But I, I will bring a little bit of like a curveball to you. And uh, I know that some of the IT companies, they have worked actively with Russian clients, right? So, and it's a bit tricky situation right now. I, I think... A lot of companies have stopped like doing any kind of projects with Russian customers. And when you think, does IT sector in Ukraine, did it get political now? Are, are companies taking a stand or like how is that messy situation doing? Very interesting question, to be honest. <laughs> uh, in terms of our company, fortunately, uh, we didn't have uh, any Russian customers because we are working for US market, Israel, Europe. So all our clients are not from, uh, from, from Russia. Uh, to be honest, I don't know uh, the position of other IT companies. To, uh, I haven't had a chance to communicate with my colleagues uh, so closely about this uh, question. But I think that... Um, I think that probably uh, they are they are not um, continue working with these companies right now because you know it's a tricky in terms of uh, uh, people as well uh, when something so awful happens in your uh, in your city in your country and you can see like people from another country they, they just came you know, and try to destroy everything uh, on an emotional level, on a human level, you can understand how, how anyone can collaborate on any way with the people from this country, from this aggressor. So I don't know for sure, but my personal opinion, I think that most uh, IT companies, they stopped working with Russian clients because first of all, you supported the economy, you know, they are paid taxes from this money and this tax that they don't know on this military equipment and to the army as well. And on the moral level, uh, I'm sure that a lot of Ukrainian um, IT specialists, they won't work on, on this project. Like they they uh, wouldn't like to work with these projects with such company, etc. So I think at this point, yes, it could be uh, a bit political, but from my own perspective, like it's understandable. Uh, it would be very weird for us to work uh, uh, with the companies from aggressors country and support the economy. So. Uh, I think that, yeah, it, it, it could be the case, but uh, I can understand why. So basically, many IT companies, at least you think so, uh, are cutting ties with Russian customers if they had any. Okay, um, how about another conflicting feeling that I'm sure a lot of people are feeling right now? So just a little bit about maybe myself. Um, I actually have people working for me in Ukraine and... Um, enjoy and always worked in Ukraine in wonderful people with uh, in wonderful city of Kharkiv which is my favorite city in Ukraine and um, Kharkiv is very much Russian speaking city and uh, had I wouldn't say I think it, it was never I think like very pro-Russia but I think it was pretty neutral 
right? Like before everything horrible started happening, it was pretty neutral. And Kharkiv is amazing because it has a lot of young people because there are universities. And I think IT sector is very strong in Kharkiv. But um, what do you think will happen after the war? Because, you know, it's really weird to be in Ukraine and, um, you know, speaking Russian. Do you think that will actually change? The culture will actually change long term. And how will those Russian speaking cities, what will happen to them? Very interesting question. Uh, to be honest, we, uh, uh, we have spoken with uh, my friends about this situation with, with language because uh, I am myself from the central Ukraine. So in my native city, we speak uh, some kind of dialect. It's a mix of Ukrainian and Russian. And when I moved to Kharkiv uh, 15 years ago, I started speaking Russian because everyone is speaking Russian culturally and historically, and it was fine. And to be honest, uh, I don't think that it's uh, about language because, for example, Canada has uh, two languages and it's fine. Uh, Switzerland has not one language as well officially, and everyone is doing great with this. Um, and culturally, I think there still will be people who speak uh, in Russian, but it doesn't mean that they are not patriots, they are not. Uh, they are want to return Russia or something like that. I have dozens of uh, uh, acquaintances that are speaking Russian. It's like a family language, let's say that way, because they were uh, raised uh, in Kharkiv or in other regions, but they are, uh, they, they patriots, they love Ukraine. Uh, they don't want to be saved by, by Russia and, and, you know, all of this, all of this stuff. So I think there still will be some people who speak in uh, Russian language. But of course, um, of course, we can see this fit because a lot of employees in our company as well, who were speaking Russian, usually in the previous before the war in their lives, they switched to the Ukraine. It's, it's understandable. Uh, people try to show their position in this way as well. They would like to speak their uh, native language and we can understand. But I think that some group of people still will be speaking in Russian, especially in these eastern regions. And But again, it doesn't mean that they are uh, not loving Ukraine or something like that. But culturally and historically, I think that some part will uh, it, it will stay this, this way for some regions. Yeah, so basically next time uh, when I come visit Kharkiv, which I'm very excited to do very soon, hopefully. So um, all of a sudden, you know, everybody will not forget Russian. No, of course not. No, yeah, yeah. no okay, because it's, it's, it's historically and uh, people were raised in families who were speaking, their grandparents were speaking Russian and parents, etc. But uh, I, I think historically it will stay, uh, even though a lot of people switch to Ukraine. So, and the, the, the reason why I brought up this, uh, this uh, question, obviously, is that I have amongst my friends a lot of Russians who have migrated, well, immigrated, not migrated, they're not birds, but they, <laughs> mig they immigrated um, to Europe, right? Mm -hmm. And some of them are actually looking to move to Ukraine and help rebuild Ukraine, right? Join IT companies, start companies. And some of them have been talking to me like openly and saying like, I'm afraid to, to be, I'm afraid that people will think that I speak Russian and I'm, you know, the aggressor, you know, will, will I feel a, this kind of race, racist tension and so forth. And I've been talking to them and I said that 
as long as you are supporting Ukraine, supporting Ukrainian values, you're contributing positively to the society, most likely nobody will care about the language. And, and I think it's very good to hear from you, right, um, that that's pretty much the case, or at least uh, that's how you feel, obviously, you know, talking to your colleagues and talking to other entrepreneurs and so forth. But one thing that I want to really know about is you became head of operations like prior to the conflict, like a, you mentioned like a week or something, right? Or like two oh, weeks? a couple of weeks before a couple of weeks. Started, okay. Yeah. Um, so basically that's kind of like trial by fire, right? I mean, like people just threw you into the fire and like, okay, you do your thing. So, um, could you maybe tell a little bit about like about the events, right? When, uh, in the morning, the shelling started, like what went through your head? What did you do? What kind of work day was that? Yeah. Okay. No problem. It wasn't work day. We, we had a day off, let's say that way, 24. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember that I uh, got up at 6.30 because my mom was calling and it was too early for her to call. And uh, she was crying and saying, uh, dear, you should get up or the war has started. And I was like, what, what, what are you talking about? I'm sleeping. <laughs> I, I have a lot of work to do today. But then I realized that she was very scared. And she's, she's not from Kharkiv, as I said. She, I'm from uh, central Ukraine, from the middle of the country. And she said that they canceled their work at school today. And she stayed at home and they uh, all watch news. And Kharkiv is, being, Kharkiv is uh, under bombing, etc. But I uh, haven't heard anything, and when I get up, I get up and started to looking for some news, and there were already communication in our world chat. So everyone was like, "Okay, what are we going to do next? According to our plans, what are our next steps?" So our channels were active in Telegram, uh, and then I heard these sounds, this boom, boom, like it was far away, but it was very very vivid uh, sound and I vividly remember that I was scared because I've never heard something like that before and to be honest till the last minute me like I personally um, I was sure that every like all these uh, all these rumors is just uh, they try to scare us it's a political game some kind of leverage and other stuff some manipulation and for the first couple of minutes I was like oh my god it's happening um, but I'm good under stress, <laughs> fortunately. So I packed my bag like in 15, 20 minutes. Uh, I was um, chatting with our C-level folks and with uh, my friends and our head of uh, business analysis department. And I went to her house because I don't own a car and she does and we decided to move together. And our first plan was uh, so people who own cars, they can use the cars and maybe take someone on board into the cars and uh, our first stop was Poltava according to our plans and uh, everyone who wanted to evacuate this first day because not everyone wanted to, to go someone thought like probably it's for a day or two and everything gonna be fine they like shoot a little bit and then go away but no and at first day um, uh, about 60 employees if I'm not mistaken uh, came to office so we organized the bus and uh, this bus and I, I don't know probably a dozen of cars or something like that uh, our, our location was on the Poltava city we had some safe place uh, that we prepared for this case and everyone was moving there to this to this uh, city and it was it was scary of course but um, it wasn't um, under you know active war actions at this day because the first date was just some bombing at the Chubuiv airport 
uh, in Kharkiv region, but after a couple of hours, they started bombing uh, and shooting to, to the city as well. Uh, and uh, it took too long because usually you can move from Kharkiv to Poltava in two hours by car, and we were going for 10 or 12. Like, because huge traffic jams, a lot of third people moving on from cities, it was too long. Like, the whole day we were moving uh, on this third distance. Uh, and then we had a plan how to move uh, you know, from Poltava to Western Ukraine. Of course, it's a long road, so we had to stop at you know, some points. Uh, and we were moving with these um, cars and with this bus of people. And at this time, I, as I said, our CBDO, he stayed in party. He started organizing all this evacuation. So the first day, I think we evacuated about 80 maybe people, bus and cars with uh, with families, so with uh, uh, wives, husbands, and uh, pets as well. Uh, and the second, third day, and etc., we were evacuating different amount of people. And when we evacuated everyone uh, from Ideasoft, like not even when we evacuated during this period, uh, started joining other companies, uh, just people not from IT sector, and it became uh, all this uh, big and important operation to help people move away from, from Kharkiv and Kharkiv region. So the first day we were moving for 10 or 12 hours. Uh, I, I think we left Kharkiv uh, in, in car with my colleague and her uh, boyfriend and son uh, about 10 a.m. in the morning. And we get to Poltava region about 10 p.m. or something like that. So the whole day we were moving to this first location. And second day we also were everyone were on the road. So I think in Sergei we got to this first safe place in Western Ukraine. So first two days, it was Thursday and Friday, um, we weren't working at all. But on Monday, it was uh, 28th of February, we started uh, recovering everything and everyone who uh, could join uh, uh, work day and uh, delivering something started working. Meanwhile, we were dealing with uh, all this coordination operation and location stuff. So something like that. Wow, that's quite 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 a day to be honest. Um, but you had some plans already in place, right? So you, as you mentioned before, you had already some action plan. Uh, you obviously have something like Slack or Teams, right? Where where you communicate. So everybody basically came in and. Um, um told about their situation right and you did a head count probably and started talking who is moving where and where are you going and so forth but how about your clients did you did you send did you send a worrying email like i'm sure some of your clients were like we're watching news guys and we're in shock yes. what the hell is going on yes to be honest uh i started receiving messages like 7 a.m. in the morning that day or something like that but it wasn't like oh my god i'm gonna deliver our product or not no everyone was like uh, and we're so sorry it's happening to your country let me know if we can help any way we can everyone was so supportive it, it was to be honest even though it just words but it was very meaningful at that moment because of course we were scared even though we had plans we uh, we uh, we were acting uh, to evacuate all these uh, people etc but still we, we we were scared everyone because it's not uh, something you can you can deal with quickly uh, so clients were texting us from the early morning but it was uh, supportive messages and we said that we need to take uh, two days off so by the end of this week thursday and friday because 
we need to uh, deal with all this uh, emergency evacuation. And everyone was like, okay, no problem, take your time, let us know if you need to postpone some deadlines. Uh, everyone was very supportive. Uh, so yeah, uh, they were worried about us and we have dozens of these messages and emails and in, in Telegram, Slack, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So um, customers were pretty understanding. And yes, willing to yes. Help. Yeah, yes. That, yeah, yeah. I've seen, I've seen it across the board. People were really passionate about helping, and some were. Some of my clients even asked me right away, like, "Where do we send money?" Like, yes, like where? Same where here. Do, yeah, where can we donate? And you know, how can we donate? And what kind of stuff you need, and so forth. And I think um, Ukraine united a lot of people, you know, because uh, it's just. You can't look at the pictures and that situation and feel anything else besides just urge to help in some way that you can. That's awesome. That's very, very, very interesting. And if uh, you mentioned, by the way, that your company works with blockchain, right? And uh, obviously blockchain is such a buzzword. It seems that everything soon, maybe my milk carton will have a blockchain <laughs> technology to make sure that it came from the right origin, right? Yes. So um, um, basically, when it comes to blockchain, what kind of project projects do you work with? What what type of work do you guys do? You mentioned full stack, but then again, full stack means everything and a grandma. You know, yes, it could mean yes, anything. It could mean, you know right from the you know from the atom that you can create the computer and then you program <laughs> so so could you talk a little bit about your company's profile because maybe some of the listeners will be interested to hear um, about your company and what do you do of course uh, we work with different type of projects so for example uh, we created a lot of centralized exchanges and decentralized exchanges, crypto wallets, custodial, non-custodial wallets, uh, everything uh, in, in between. I mean, very popular right now, NFT platforms, uh, DAO platforms as well. We work with different blockchains, uh, Ethereum, uh, Bitcoin Family, uh, Solana, Near, Polkadot, etc. So uh, a variety of uh, uh, possibilities uh, that uh, you have in blockchain, we can, we can deal with this. Um, and uh, so this full stack means that we can cover blockchain development as well, as well building smart contracts and everything that you need to uh, to support all this kind of project. As well, we have front-end developers, quality assuring designers, business analysts, so not only uh, blockchain devs, but everyone, uh, so you can uh, build uh, the project from scratch. So for example, you say, I would like to create, I don't know, NFT platforms to sell artworks to support uh, Ukrainian army, for example, because it is also a very popular case right now. So we can, from the scratch, starting from business analysis, gather all the requirements, um, writing all the specifications, and uh, continue with uh, front end uh, blockchain development, uh, QA, and design with everything great and to deliver you uh, this product uh, ready, to, ready to work. So yeah we can cover all the stages awesome awesome i just recently purchased the ledger called wallet and it supports nfts so actually buying nft to support ukraine sounds really interesting could be could be an interesting way to load my ledger maybe with uh, some cool nft content um Okay, well, that's that sounds really, really good. So um, if you think about a blockchain in general, 
uh, I think Ukrainian government made crypto legal, right, in Ukraine. So, first of all, it's awesome. And I've heard, I've heard from my guys that you can actually pay for utilities, like your house utilities in crypto in Ukraine. And I thought like, oh my God, that is pretty awesome. It's just an amazing, amazing development. And I think um, uh, Ukrainian charity organizations started accepting crypto really quickly and uh, got a lot of money. So do you think that now that crypto is legal in Ukraine, do you think there will be, obviously after the war, after, you know, you know, government kind of takes a breath, you know, and just after a moment starts rebuilding process, do you think um, this legalization will enable some sort of like crypto innovation? Do you think maybe there will some, some companies will actually like establish in Ukraine because of this? Because like mining is legal now, right? If you use electricity and you pay for it and so forth, and like you don't use government electricity or do any kind of shady stuff, if you just create mining uh, operation in Ukraine, it's all legal, you pay taxes and so forth. Do you think it's a good move when it comes to enabling innovation like long term? Uh, of course, I think it's it's amazing. And uh, I think that we are very, I'd say quick in this kind of stuff because uh, Ukraine has a Minister of Digital Transformation. As far as I know, it's not a, like usual case for other countries, but we have the whole ministry that are working on this digital digitalization and all this transformation for our country. And uh, uh, all this crypto story also uh, about uh, new abilities for business, for IT business as well. And I'm sure that uh, it's going to attract a lot of companies, entrepreneurs and investors to our country. Uh, first of all, because we have a, a very good, I think, compared to other European countries tax system. It's not, we, we don't have such a high uh, tax rates like in other countries. And uh, while uh, crypto is, when crypto is uh, legalized, you have such more, uh, a lot of possibilities to build your own company and to conduct different transactions in our country. So I think it's very, very good um, and promising steps uh, for our IT sector. And as you said, probably even though it's going to be like a, a big uh, part of Ukraine becoming a Silicon Valley of Europe. Uh, because crypto is uh, like, you can, I can't imagine our modern world without crypto, without blockchain, without uh, all these uh, processes, Web3, uh, that zero is uh, developing. <laughs> so it's, it's our future and we need to, we need to uh, adjust to this future. And I'm, I'm very happy that Ukraine is very modern in this, uh, in this kind of decisions. Yeah, yeah, of course. Working for a blockchain company, I, I think, yeah. you know, of course, you have to tell the company line and say, blockchain is amazing. <laughs> um, of, of course, of course. But yeah, I definitely agree that it's a great move. And uh, I think Ukraine in general has been just kicking ass when it comes to media and using digitalization and its opportunities. I mean, I mean, the war is horrible and so forth. But Ukraine, the use of Twitter, social media, you know, crypto, um, just it's been just so, so amazing. I think uh, there are some like really smart people doing PR and coverage for Ukraine and thinking about what opportunities digital tools offers. So um, I think that's been like fascinating to watch.
from the sidelines. And I think um, I think one of the reasons why Ukraine has such a strong support around the world is that I think Ukraine is winning the social media war easily, easily. I mean, in the sense that um, in like they're using social media to empower, you know, um, people to tell their stories. And I think just anywhere you look right now, it's just positive sentiment. So I think the word is spreading really, really quickly, which is amazing. But you mentioned taxes and uh, there are only two certain things in life. It's, you know, death and taxes, right? <laughs> so you mentioned that uh, in Ukraine, uh, the taxes are fairly low. So what does it mean? Is it like zero or 20 percent what is it i live in finland where taxes can go up to like 50 percent like personal taxes so yeah you know we 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 live with that but what about ukraine like what is the tax taxation mm -hmm. system there uh, basically ukraine has uh, two types of tax systems simplified in general uh, simplified uh, system is uh, paying 5% of income, so all money that the company earned during some period, if the company is a uh, VAT payer, rather added tax. And 3% plus VAT for VAT payers. So this type of system can apply to companies with an income uh, approximately uh, of 2,300 euros. And general system for those who earn more uh, means paying 18 percent of the profit so this type has a little bit more bureaucracy uh, than the previous one but uh, like you can find great accountant in ukraine great financial company they they will handle everything and also you can uh, register as an um, uh, individual entrepreneur to start business in ukraine so individual entrepreneurs they pay uh, five five percent uh, of income there are different groups of these entrepreneurs but basically, uh, comparing to European rates, and as far as I know, I'm currently I'm in Germany, and uh, here taxes about again forty-five percent up to fifty, thirty-eight. They have a lot of like very difficult, complex systems with a lot of uh, conditions. Uh, but still, comparing to five percent or even eighteen percent in Ukraine, it seems like very big difference. So, I think um, uh, Ukraine can be very attractive uh, in terms of uh, all these tax systems and also you can uh, open new company like registration will take uh, uh, about two days uh, of course you need to prepare a lot of documents so it will take a couple of weeks uh, but still it's not like for months you know so yeah i think our tax tax system is very very good yeah but i think uh, you have a bureaucracy system that is maybe not so good yet so maybe Ministry of Digital Transformation will work on that because I think a good example is Estonia, where you can do everything remotely. You have um, e-residency and so forth. So I think maybe someday it will come to Ukraine. Maybe they're already thinking about it, something similar where, because I think Ukraine will want foreign companies to establish, you know, their offices in Ukraine. I'm sure they will consider making the process easier because now I think without a, an accountant who speaks ukrainian and knows the system i don't think you can open a company if i'm completely honest yeah yeah of course as i said you need to hire some people to help you with this because uh unfortunately uh right now i don't think that our all these municipal and governmental uh services are uh, available in english so of course i need to hire 
Ukrainian uh, accountant or some financial company that can handle everything. But still, I think that we are, uh, we have very good experience in terms of digitalization, as I said, and I'm comparing, for example, online banking in Ukraine and here in Europe. And oh my gosh, you know, I, I even, I haven't realized that Ukraine are so progressive in this way because you can do everything. I can pay my utilities from my uh, mobile application uh, of the bank. I can even open account for my inter, uh, individual, individual entrepreneur uh, like company. Yes, uh, also from my phone, from uh, from my bank, from my bank application, etc. And like we have a lot of services online banking in Ukraine. I think it's amazing. It's very uh, very convenient, and uh, I I believe that probably in the nearest future we can digitalize all this. Uh, processes, um, legal processes of opening companies, new entities in our country as well, and it's going to be easier. Yeah, I, I really hope so. I really hope so. And I think um, the government in Ukraine did something like like really weird, but in a good way. Uh, from 1st of April, they made paying taxes almost like voluntary. Yeah, So you don't have to pay taxes if you don't, if you can't, right? And they reduced VAT to like 7% from like 20. And um, basically that was an amazing move. I mean, wh why do you think that happened? Because a lot of people lost their businesses, lost their jobs. Like maybe someone lost uh, completely, you know, in Kharkiv for sure, uh, in Kiev, in, in other cities that were, that struggled more. Uh, and some people, of course, they, they lost uh, capacity of this uh, customers and they can't like, cover all this costs uh, as, a, as, as previously before. So I think it was to help our business uh, to deal with this difficult period. And uh, we also have uh, this decreased taxes for IT sector. And, but still, you can pay, you can pay previous rates or you can, you can send this difference to, to the army. You can donate it to army's needs. Uh, and I think it's amazing because uh, they um, they give this ability to people who are struggling right now uh, at least to save a little bit of taxes and they can handle the situation. And for those who are working as as IT companies, because IT is like the biggest donor to our economy right now during this war period. And for IT companies, we can provide our taxes as, as usual as previously, or at least a domain to uh, Ukrainian army. And this is this is cool. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I've never heard that government told its citizens that guys, you know, it's optional. If you can't, you can't. Um, it's pretty amazing. And I think a lot of people, uh, it removes additional worry because now there are other reasons to worry. So when you remove taxes, it's a, it's a big help, right? I mean, you don't have to fill out paperwork. You don't have to worry about it if you can't, for some reason, handle taxes. That's That's pretty amazing. So if you think about it, you mentioned that uh, IT companies are one of the few, you know, industries where I guess business is going as usual, more or less, maybe like, I don't know, 80, 90%. But companies that have worked for outside customers, US, you know, Israel, EU, they are able to continue working, maybe not as efficient, not as productive as they were before, but they were they were able to stay resilient and survive, which obviously helps by paying payroll and paying taxes and so forth. So why do you think 
why do you think in Ukraine there are so many IT companies? I mean, um, people don't know this, but a lot of the software that we use every day has been created in Ukraine. And the way that I learned about this is that when the war started, a lot of the companies started sending out newsletters saying like, hey guys, just so you know, our software is made in Ukraine. You know, if you can support Ukraine, please support it. And I started to realize that this software is made in Ukraine and this and this service and this as well. And I was really amazed. So why do you think there are so many IT companies in Ukraine? Why there is such a boom? Uh, first of all, I think because we have a lot of smart people. Uh, like Ukraine is not a small country, yeah, obviously. And as as you said, we have a lot of universities, a lot of strong programs, and uh, a lot of young people join uh, IT sector, uh, even like in uh, I don't know in the eighteenth uh, and nineteenth, so when they still uh, studying at university, they, they started uh, programming and learning new languages, etc. Uh, so basically, we have a lot of good human resources, a lot of people who can provide good expertise. Uh, and also, I think uh, why uh, investors uh, strive to open company in Ukraine, because probably we have also very good rates in terms of salaries, you know, comparing to European or USA market. Uh, so you can get for lower prices with the good, like people with the good expertise, uh, like team who can uh, be dedicated to your project and uh, cover everything, uh, or you can open company or your R&D center in Ukraine. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's not only, it's not only cost effective uh, due to taxes, due to salaries, due to everything, but also it's very good in terms of uh, expertise because I know that we have like, a lot of a lot of smart guys, and uh, yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe that's why Ukraine is so pop so popular for IT companies. Yeah, I think one of the reasons, and um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the reasons is that everybody and their grandma in Ukraine knows that good salaries are in IT. Yes, you know? actually, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, everybody. So, so I know a lot of people who are like, you know, I've been a cook or I've been this, I've been that, but now I'm looking at IT. And uh, usually they start with something like a junior front-end developer or QA or something like that. And all, already as a junior salary in IT, they probably can earn, you know, more than, you know, sure. some other some other profession that they might be passionate about. So I think there is a lot of drive and desire to be in IT because it's very prestigious, I think, in Ukraine, right? Good salary, good offices, bosses yes. who are usually not jerks because um, <laughs> you know they have flat i think structure right flat hierarchy yes. in it yeah. companies and it is more chill and you know companies earn more money so they invest more in into their employees maybe not more chill i i i would say that um uh, we have, like, in some uh, maybe governmental or uh, some factories, you know, or some government organization, they have this old uh, directive style of leadership. And yeah, you can't actually influence if you had the boss that is directly said, like, you, you can deal with it or can you job. You know, too, it's a vital type of leadership, it's facilitative leadership, because we're actually interested in our, uh, that our people will be growing and, uh, um, 
getting better at their skills, so they will feel safe, they will recognize and welcome to the company. Uh, so we have like, a, for example, in our company, we have the whole uh, framework of a performance review and gradual um, uh, skill updates, etc. So that's why it's such a big difference, because when you come to IT company, not only you will have a good salary, like bigger than on, on in a restaurant or in a factory or in any other place. But you will also have uh, these facilitative leaders, uh, you will have opportunity to grow, uh, to learn something new, and as you said, a good office, all this uh, usual stuff uh, uh, that uh, you can't have in other companies, not each company. So yeah, yeah you, you're not really like you do attractive for people in Ukraine. Yeah, so you get good coffee, you know, <laughs> a little bit of mocha latte, some cookies, and then office parties, and you know, company trips, and all that good stuff. You get the, uh, you get the good treatment. Yeah, that's that that absolutely makes sense. And I think um, in Kharkiv specifically, I think um, Kharkiv, I think was really good when it comes to IT because in Kharkiv uh, there are a lot of young people, a lot of smart people, and also Kharkiv is not Kiev. So the rates are better a bit and it's easier to find maybe office. It's uh, it's maybe a bit cost effective and uh, Kharkiv uh, is not very far from Kiev. You can take a train. Yeah. I think like what like 4 hours maybe. I don't uh, yes, yeah, 4 hours uh, by train and basically by car pretty much the same. Yeah, 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 and um, and Kharkiv has an airport, a very small yes. one, a very cute one, but still yes. an airport. So you can actually fly, and I think um, Visa Air flies to Ukraine as well. Uh, yes, well, it, yes, it, it, it there, used yes. to fly. So Visa Air, I think, flies from Estonia for like twenty euro or something. So you can get very, very quickly to Ukraine. Obviously, not now due to the situation, but otherwise, yeah. Um, how is English in uh, Ukraine? Obviously, in IT companies, I know personally that a lot of companies actually pay for English courses and try to make sure that their personnel uh, speaks English. But amongst um, young people or IT sector in general, do you think... Uh, my question is, if I'm a foreigner, I don't speak Ukrainian, um, will I be okay with English if I want to establish a company? Um, yeah, to be honest, uh, it could be a little bit hard, uh, especially like in Kiev, situation is better, in Kharkiv, a little worse. If you're talking about hotels, some services, cabs, etc., it's fine. But uh, for example, you can uh, come to some, I don't know, um, coffee house or restaurant and you will have a difficulty to, to order something in English because not everyone is speaking English, unfortunately. So service sector, uh, it's not good in terms of English. As you said, IT, like everyone is uh, speaking English uh, on a very high level because we're communicating with the clients, with the customers all over the world, it's, it's a requirement. Um, but from the perspective of uh, different kind of services on, on the ground, it's going to be difficult. Of course, you can always find, for example, lawyer company or accountant that uh, will be uh, uh, um, advanced in English and they can help you with all your requests and deal with everything. But it's not like when you uh, came on the street and you talk to someone in English, you will have a lot of answers. Um, but still, we have a lot of students. We have we had at least uh, before a lot of foreign students 
in Kharkiv in Ukraine, and uh, these guys, they uh, always uh, speak English. So uh, it helped uh, to improve a little bit on the service level, uh, all this communication, because these guys, they rent apartments, they actually uh, are living in the city for like four or five years while they study on in the universities so it's getting better but yeah it's not uh, it's not a perfect unfortunately well yeah i mean it's nowhere perfect except in english-speaking <laughs> countries right yes I mean, for sure now living in germany now living in germany i'm sure you see that not not everybody yes. speaks english yes. in germany as yes. well um but maybe without any personal details how did you end up in germany uh it's not a secret i can give you in some personal details uh, we were um, working from western ukraine for some time and then we realized that still uh, we have to handle a lot of stuff and it's uh, getting crowded in western ukraine because a lot of people move from eastern part from kiev kiev region to to western ukraine and as a uh, women we had I, I i'm talking about my uh, my friend and my colleague head of our business analyst department uh, we had this ability to move abroad because men are not allowed, uh, those who can join army. So some of them are not allowed. Some of them have, uh, of course, legal uh, cases that they can move abroad as well. But some of them should stay in the country uh, right now. Uh, so we just decided to move abroad because, uh, first of all, we can have like more comfortable uh, situation for staying and we can have stable, you know, like internet. Uh, and uh, it's going to be more productive for us to manage and coordinate everyone. Now, also, we uh, knew that a lot of people will be moving abroad as well, so we uh, need to help them, and we have amazing clients and partners who also help us during this process. For example, uh, we moved to Germany, and our uh, partners, uh, they provided us uh, with the apartment for two months, rent-free, uh, so we can figure out what to do next. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we just decided to, uh, first of all, we moved to Hungary, we crossed the border and we went to Budapest. We stayed there for a couple of days, just figuring out where to move next, where we did the best place for us to, uh, to sit and start uh, working. And um, we stayed also for a week in Vienna and then moved to, to Germany, currently I'm in Bonn. So a lot of uh, co-working spaces here, a lot of ability to to work productively uh, remotely uh, so yeah and uh, a lot of our people also in germany i i was talking to my colleagues uh, i know there are people in essen in munich uh, uh, in different uh, uh, small cities you know uh, around uh, around berlin uh, a lot of people in poland of course uh, in hungary uh, so yeah we end up in Germany, at least for now. I'm not saying that it's for forever because I feel more flexible right now and we can just take our suitcase and go to another city tomorrow. Yeah, and I think you mentioned that um, Ukraine has mobilized its forces. So if you're, if you're, you know, service age, like military service age, you're not allowed to leave the country if you're a man. If you have disabilities or some other um, exception, you know, uh, that is approved by the government, you can leave the country. And I know some people have, you know. You can uh, also leave if you are a father or like uh, with many children or you have okay. a rel disabled relative that you need to take care of. There are so like for, for, for like social or humanitarian reasons, well, like social reasons, family reasons, you can also leave yeah, the country, yeah. which that is awesome. And 
um, now that you're in uh, Europe, you don't have to worry about visa, right? Uh, no, yes, uh, I need to register here, for example, and I will get a visa for one year. And uh -huh, to okay. be honest, uh, yeah, everyone, uh, every everyone around us is very supportive. It's very pleasant. Uh, so uh, when anyone asks where I'm from and I say Ukraine, they're usually like, oh my God, seriously, how can we help? Do you need some help with maybe accommodation? Do you need some recommendations here? Uh, do you have guys everything? Do you have a nice place to stay, etc.? So yeah, we can have visa for one year here, but to be honest, uh, I think uh, I'm not going to stay uh, like and register in Germany. Uh, I think I'm going to move to uh, other country, or probably to Portugal, and uh, maybe I will register there. But I know that some of our people, they already registered in Hungary, in all of these countries, Poland, Germany. So, so where do you want to go? Uh, Lisbon. Lisbon. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Okay. I haven't been there, but I guess the reasons are it's pretty warm. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty nice for sure. Um, yeah, but basically for you, the whole Europe is open, right? Yes, yes. We can move to any country we want. We can register there. Uh, we yeah. have like 90 days that we can, we can figure out what to do in this during this 90 yeah, days. Yeah, find accommodation, yes, just yes, you know, get yes. settled, and then you have to register, right? Yes, and then you have to register, and uh, you will get a one-year visa for this, like... Uh, uh, how to say it? It's not refugee. It's a little bit another status. I guess it's like um, it's a, like a, a refugee or immigrant status, right? Like yeah, something like that for a year, and then they can make it longer. If situation not gonna be better, you can have like up to three years of this visa or something like that. And for are you allowed can... to work? Are you allowed to work? Depends uh, on my request. For example, if I say that I don't have any income and I can't like work, uh, I can ask for social support, for some money, for uh, coverage of my rent. And as far as I know, in this status, we, we are allowed to work, so we can work. Uh, but I'm, for example, I'm not gonna uh, apply on any social support. I don't need it. And there are a lot of people who actually need it. So I'm just need to. I just register and I say like I have uh, work. I have income. I'm paying taxes in Ukraine. I just need a legal status to stay here for some time. I'm gonna pay my rent and do everything by myself. Just just need a legal status. Yes. Yeah, but when when you register, but when you register, you continue paying taxes in Ukraine, right? You don't pay yes, them in yes. Europe. Yes, to be honest, I don't know details for all the countries, but as far as I know, in Lisbon, for example, uh, you don't need to pay additional taxes inside the country. So if you can provide with the document that you're working remotely for a company in Ukraine and I'm paying taxes in Ukraine, for some period, for sure, I don't need to pay taxes in, in uh, Portugal, uh, as far as I know. I don't know, to be honest, space for Germany. Uh, yeah, yeah I, haven't, I haven't had a chance to investigate this question yet yeah i think it i think it depends on the country and i think this has been like a like a protection measure measure where they give you quickly like one year visa and they have like medical help they provide to you as well right so they cover your medical expenses if you have some which is awesome um but yeah it depends on the country uh, but so far how are you liking germany I miss Ukraine. No, Germany is very nice. It's very, it's very nice. It's very modern, very clean. Everything is, everything is fine. A lot of people, uh, I'm staying in Bonn. A lot of people here talk, speaking English, so it's very convenient uh, for me. Uh, but, you know, probably because of all of the situation, it feels like Kharkiv is so amazing and I miss the city and I miss our streets, our office. 
and we uh, separated with my colleagues, with our friends. We have very family-like corporate culture, so we have very strong connection inside the team, basically we're all friends. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's why uh, it's a little bit difficult, but still, um, the most important thing is feel safe. I don't need to run from sirens, being here, and I can uh, concentrate 100% on work, on, on helping uh, our company and our employees, and I think this is most important right now. Good, good. Have you been to Dresden? Have you been? No, unfortunately not, but I've been to Amsterdam. <laughs> Oh well, okay. Amsterdam, very beautiful, of course. Very beautiful. <laughs> yeah, Amsterdam is awesome. Amsterdam is amazing, especially during summer, I guess. But um, from German cities, I visited Dresden and I liked it. I think the most. It's small and beautiful city with an amazing art gallery, like amazing art gallery. So that was that was a pleasure to visit. Uh, but why do you want to move to Lisbon? Uh, first of all, uh, we have some colleagues there, so it would be nice to be to be closer to each other. And we already uh, we have spoken that we can probably maybe uh, work together in office of other partners. We have partners; uh, they have offices in Lisbon, for example. Uh, we can work together. We can see each other uh, offline, and it would be nice. Uh, and also, as you said, they have a good climate. Lisbon is bigger. And I, I really, um, I really like big cities. You know, all this vibe, uh, all this energy. And Bonn is, to be honest, a little bit small for me. So I need uh, a little bit more action, maybe. So that's why. We're, but to be honest, the main reason is that we can be closer to our colleagues, and it will be nice to to be connected. Yeah, of course, of course. And um, uh, soon we are going to wrap up. But one thing that. Um, can't really escape my mind is that some people well especially obviously the Russian side um, they say that Ukrainians are bombing themselves you know they're saying that no city was ever harmed or damaged so you you know been living in Kharkiv what can you tell me is that absolute bullshit of course, 100%. I have friends, I have family in Ukraine right now. This morning, my mother was texting me that in my small city, my native city in, in the center of Ukraine, uh, uh, they had bombing uh, near the like, military airport or something like that. Uh, I have friends who had been staying in Kharkiv for the first two weeks of war. Uh, they were texting me like, oh my gosh, uh, we lost all the glasses in our apartment. Every window was broken. It was very scary. It's it's not like all the stories that we are bombing ourselves. It's a total bullshit. And uh, we have, I have colleagues who lost their close relatives. A colleague of mine lost her sister because of bombing Kharkiv. Another colleague of mine, he can reach his parents in Mariupol for a month. And it's it's real stories that you not hear from somebody. From, it's people you closely work with. And uh, to be honest, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I met a man on the street here in Bonn. Uh, and he told me that he is uh, like a Russian German guy. I don't know if I just said politics, so he is Russian, but he moved here like many years ago. And he told me like, Mariupol, it's a, it's a fake. You know, they said that it's a fake. It's like, it's a Photoshop. And I was like, 
I have a colleague who um, who had nervous breakdown because the parents and her close relatives were there, and we were talking each other with each other on the phone. It's not a fake; it's a real situation. So all the stories, I know that this is just a part of this hybrid war media, uh, but definitely 100% bullshit because Ukrainians not bombing themselves. It's, it's, it's not true. Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree. It just when I say it, you know, it it's a bit different when you say it because obviously you lived through those situations and you have connections. And I noticed that Telegram became very important, right? During this whole like many people don't know, but Telegram is huge in Ukraine and people started organizing chats and support chats and it became like a lifeline when everything else was kind of like in shambles and there was chaos everywhere. People were self-organizing. They created like Kharkiv chats and they were asking for help and so forth. I think um, Telegram played a big role in helping Ukrainian people like self-organize and they have been amazing at that. So so like why did they go to telegram all of the sudden like why not like i'm just interested as a digital marketer why not like facebook groups or whatever as you said like telegram it's very convenient simple easy to use and quick uh for example at work we have a lot of slack uh channels with our clients but our inner internal communications we have in telegram so we have worked just different work chats in telegram because it's easier it's faster and as you said, uh, a lot of people in Ukraine, they are using Telegram uh, and even governmental organizations. So, for example, if I open right now my Telegram, chat, uh, my Telegram I have chats from uh, our Minister of Digital Transformation, uh, from our government, uh, from our president, like all these uh, official uh, chats and channels. And it's not only about people uh, self-organize themselves and communicate through Telegram, it's also a big part, but also we receive a lot of news through Telegram. I uh, have all like all the content, all the news that I digest, I, I do from Telegram. I like select a couple of chats that I trust and I use the official uh, chats to, to see what is going on. And also uh, when you're in Ukraine, you receive a lot of messages about Cyrus alert in telegram so you can have like here uh, go to the uh, go to to the basement because the siren alert like uh, every day you receive all these messages uh, from in different uh, like it could be one chat for like uh, uh, all the plane it could be divided to cities and regions and when i was staying in, uh, in ukraine uh, i i've seen a lot of information about sirens and situation in the television so even though you're sitting in the basement and you can feel the sounds of the sirens uh, in telegram you can receive in a couple of minutes like uh, alert is gone everything is fine you can go out so it became very important channel of communication and uh, for people receiving uh, official information that you can trust even though it's like it sounds a little bit weird because it's telegram website but still yeah it's a, it's a big part of our communication design okay okay cool and uh, are you planning to like i like when situation comes down and obviously we hope for a swift victory by ukrainian forces and we want uh, obviously just for, for aggressor to suffer the consequences of doing these horrible horrible atrocities that we have seen um 
so when situation comes down, do you think you or some of your colleagues, do you think many people will choose to go back? Of course, yeah. Uh, we have been talking about uh, this, like, I, I don't know, from the day one when we moved abroad. Uh, as far as I know, uh, in my close circle and with the friends, with the colleagues, everyone is uh, going to go back to rebuild Kharkiv and start working there again. We really miss our office and we all always joke uh, that okay we're gonna we're gonna go back we're gonna fix everything that we need we're gonna have this fighting prince as we had previously we're gonna work together and you just unfortunately due to this awful uh, situation you just have new appreciation uh, for for your city for for, for places for uh, things that you uh, take took for granted for, for a long time so uh, as far as i know a lot of us we're going to to go back to Ukraine and to work again in other parts of the But to be honest, I'm not planning so in advance right now because uh, this last uh, five or six weeks, I come to realize that you have very short time period that you can plan for right now. Uh, but in general, yeah, I would like to, to go back and, um, to my apartment, to, to my city and work from there. So you have family still in Ukraine, right? Yes, yes. I'm a family still in Ukraine, yes. And I have an aunt in Nikolai, uh, which is under hard attacks right now. So yeah, it's, it's scary, but I think that is going to be hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, I really hope this will end soon. But then again, um, things are moving so quickly and changing so quickly. You can't really, you can't make any kind of predictions. You just have to do, I guess, like everybody else now does, wake up, check the news and make your decision based on that. You can't really trust, um, you can't make plans more than like a day or two, especially I'm sure in Ukraine, that's the situation for sure. So um, thank you very much. And before we go, before we go, what is the best way to support like people are watching the video, they're thinking wow it's you know horrible i don't want to and i want to support um, ukraine so what do you think are the best ways for a foreigner who lives in i don't know us or somewhere like eu what is the best way currently now to support ukraine and ukrainians from your perspective uh, from our perspective, uh, I think we're talking about some donations. I think it's better to donate to some humanitarian organizations because, in terms of military, I think like a lot of countries uh, do it on the government level. But there are a lot of volunteers organizations uh, uh, in Kharkiv and Kiev and other cities that they need help by medicine, by food, by gas, and uh, other stuff. So, uh, if someone would like to to donate to some humanitarian organization. Uh, there are a lot of information online uh, uh, on uh, Ukrainian websites. You can you can do it directly to some organization here, or like example. In terms of business, uh, I think the best way to support Ukraine not to, to be scared to work with Ukraine because I know that uh, a lot of companies right now think that it would be high risk to hire uh, Ukrainian IT guys, but uh, I can totally say that uh, you know IT sector is uh, working. Like I can't say perfectly because it's not going to be true. I expect it's working fine, and we're delivering. We are building new projects. And I'm not talking only about our company, any other Ukrainian IT company. If you, if you can, uh, and if you would like to order something, don't be scared to 
uh, to work with Ukrainian guys because everyone is very motivated to to working right now and it, it helps uh, to feel uh, you know to feel normal in all this working process. So also the second best way to support Ukrainians is to work with Ukrainian companies and buy product services from them. Um, yes, and uh, I think that's that's the main the main point. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, so basically continue working with Ukrainian companies. If you haven't before, check them out and we'll leave some links uh, in the description. Obviously, we'll leave links to your organization so people can support your organization by starting maybe new projects with you. Uh, we will leave links to your uh, charity organization, your initiative to help people in Kharkiv so people can donate there. And we'll leave links also to maybe some directories of IT companies in Ukraine so people can see besides you obviously of course some of other course. companies as well because maybe they want to do something else besides blockchain um, <laughs> yeah and uh, obviously we'll leave um, some maybe maybe there are some director directories of uh, charity organizations and so forth so we'll leave links to those as well but um Thank you very much, Anne. It's been a pleasure. You have been a wonderful guest. I'm really, really glad you're safe. I'm glad to hear that your colleagues are safe. And hopefully this nightmare will be over soon. And maybe, maybe, who knows, we might even bump into each other in Kharkiv. Cause I, I definitely hope so. Plan, yeah, I definitely plan to go back and visit that amazing city. Uh, it had an amazing park amazing park that unfortunately suffered from the bombing but i think it will be rebuilt and will be even better and more beautiful and i will be seeing couples walking by kissing in the park oh, and yes. having kids there playing i i really i really enjoyed my time in kharkiv so i definitely looking forward to go back thank you very much again and and we'll have all the links in the description so thank you and have a wonderful wonderful day thank you for this moment with us Thank you, thank you. Bye.